hello guys thanks for tuning in and listening to the not the top 20 podcast with me ali maxwell and to my right george ellick george we're calling this show the efl awards show it's going to be a little different to a regular program for a few different reasons one because of what has come before us in the last few days a lot of chat about the efl awards which we attended and enjoyed immensely and a lot of things that we wanted to touch on from that event, uh, given as it is a big event in the EFL calendar, of course. And also because of what is to come this week, a full set of championship fixtures and a few as well in League One on Tuesday and Wednesday, which makes strong statements not ideal uh, on a podcast like this going out on Monday night. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we're both quite tired after our evening last night. So yeah. maybe not the worst thing, but uh, still a lot to unpack and a lot to talk about. So over the course of the weekend, you had a a big one in Liverpool on Saturday night after the Grand National, and then we had a a decent-sized one. I stayed a little longer than you, but I was very impressed with how long you stuck around given given how how big a session you'd had the day before yeah um it was good fun and and also you know the awards went on for about six hours so you couldn't really (laughs) leave before uh, before the big ones but um yeah it's been today at work i've been quite slow it's fair to say we'll have to probably double down tomorrow well you you arrived or we rather arrived at the efl awards and to be fair we weren't sure exactly how it was going to go and i think it's fair to say that we both genuinely enjoyed it definitely from the part of it that was podcast and work to the extent that this is work we were accredited media we were delighted to get access to some of the big name stars as they arrived Um, we knew that we weren't going to have loads of time with them so we're happy with the content we managed to get we're going to run that in a bit later on in the podcast asking these guys for their five-a-side teams made up from the championship wasn't meant to be uh, of their teammates some of the Norwich players very loyal uh, some of the other players less so um, so we, we were pretty chuffed to get the call up as accredited media chuffed with the with the access that we got and then just really enjoyed the night after that didn't we we, we were on a table entirely on our own with a lot of salted cod a table for two um, which was great uh, we, we, I think we had about 10 main courses that we could choose between because uh, we're on our own table uh, the conductor from the band even came over to us and asked us what we were doing because we were on our own table and who we were um, you know Colin Murray came and joined us for, for a little bit yeah um, given your close friendship with him so um, <laughs> so that was good no I mean all in all it was, it was a really good night I felt and, like I was uh, mixed I, feel, I felt like I was a, a cheating husband who is suddenly in this, on the same table with his wife and his mistress yeah I mean what I quite like you, you're the wife in that story I thought story. so yeah. what I quite like though is when Colin and I met for the first time last night neither of us introduced ourselves knowing the, the other person knew full well who, who they were but. yeah I mean <laughs> if you hadn't known who Colin was that would have been a bit weird but yes and if he didn't know who I was yeah okay sure um, a regular listener to the podcast of course and a contributor a few weeks ago Colin uh, we should give him a shout out quite a good gag to kick off proceedings wasn't it he said the only people that know the winners of the big awards are myself, the jury who judged it, Sean Harvey, and presumably everyone at Leeds United. Uh, a nice nod to Spygate earlier on in the season. Uh, who else did we have? We had Jim Waite was there, wasn't he? And why does he have to talk like that all of the time? It must be absolutely exhausting. Jim Waite, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> at the EFL Awards. I love that. That was good. That was better than Farker, I think. I'm not going to try anyone, um, I'm afraid. Let's talk about some of the things we saw, some of the things that we enjoyed and some of the things that are worth talking about. Um, We're going to go through the big awards. We're going to 
decide whether we thought they were correct and the very nature of these awards, but just in terms of, of some of the things that maybe don't get the headlines. First of all, there are a lot of awards that are to do with helping the community, uh, both what the clubs do through their trusts and also individual players. Um, it's always really great to see that because certainly we are mostly blind to this stuff as we're mostly focusing on what happens on the pitch. But every EFL team has a trust and all of them in different ways do various different things, schemes in their local community, all designed to help people and invariably succeeding. And it's, it's, it's a huge part of the EFL that goes mostly unreported. And I think that it's really, it was great for us to see a lot of that stuff uh, and to hear some of the stories. And also Will Volks was the player in the community, Mm. spoke so well. We both turned to each other and said, we've got to get him on the podcast both to talk about football and just to just to get to know him. Yeah, he seemed like a, a great man. Um, I mean, as people know, I do quite like this Rotherham team, mm. and uh, and to see Volks, you know, who's been a massive, massive player for them. I don't you can really underestimate just how important he is to the way that they play, um, and he is going to have to play a massive part in there. Um, in if they are going to stay up this season, he'll he'll have to play a big part in that. Um, but the work that he obviously does behind the scenes as well shows him to be. A, I mean, I thought, actually thought I said it to you and I tweeted about it. Everyone who we met yesterday. Mm all just seem like really good lads. Yeah. I mean, we didn't get time to spend, uh, a chance to spend any time with Volks. Um, we are probably know, a bit nervous, weren't we, that they probably wouldn't fancy chatting to us, they wouldn't know who we were, yeah. and it couldn't have been less, less I, of the I, case. I don't know if they knew who we were. But, <laughs> Definitely not. But, um, but no, I mean, Aaron, Max Aaron's, um, Jamal Lewis, seemed like, um, James Justin seemed like three great lads. Yeah. Um, Billy Sharp was very, very friendly. Yeah. Tima Puki came over and spoke to us as well. I mean, everyone was great. So testament to the characters of these guys as well as their playing ability. And you, probably the most exciting part for you in, in the evening was as you left, you, fueled by a, a nice Italian red, made a beeline for one man in the room, one man with whom you have quite the history uh, a man who didn't know about that history but now does. Tell, tell me who well, you I think met. He, he'll only know the good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, you, Chris Wilder was sitting a couple of tables away next to Oxford United fan and broadcasting legend Jim Rosenthal, who I, I actually kind of wish I'd spoken to, to him a bit more because um, he's an interesting guy. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and it was quite funny seeing them sitting next to each other because, I mean, they definitely would have known each other from, from their time at Oxford. Jim Rosenthal's been a director at Oxford before, uh, I think possibly during the time he was there. And you had said to me, Ali... I said about three times, I was like, should I go over and say hello? And you kept being like, no, it's weird. Like, yeah. don't, you don't go over to someone when they're sitting down at their table. Thankfully, I ignored you when I, when I was leaving and went over to Chris and just said, because a lot of Oxford fans these days, I think, forget just how important he was. And, and you know, at times he has really bugged me as well since he left. Um, but it was, you know, without Chris Wilder, the club wouldn't be where they are now. So I went and told him that. And just said thank you for the uh, thank you for the memories. To which Jim Rosenthal said, "Here, here, well said," which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> really nice. I managed to, to take a very sneaky snapshot of that, which you can see on our Twitter page at NTD Twenty Pod. It was great to see many people, many people that we know already, and to meet lots of new people. A um, couple more things. We're not going to talk about the individual teams of the season because we're going to do separate podcasts at the end of the season with all of the information available at that stage uh, and with a special guest as well who knows more about the EFL than anyone else apart from us. Uh, So we're not going to talk about the teams of the season but we can talk about the players of the season for each division and the first thing to mention if you've seen that the winner was Timo Pukki, that the winner was James Collins and the winner was James Norwood and you think 
well, that's pretty unimaginative. They are just the top scorers at this moment in time. Bear in mind that this, this award is voted on by the managers of each division. So I think there's a lot of people who'd say the EFL have got this one wrong. How can they vote, you know, so unimaginative to just go for the top scorers? For whatever reason, and this is what I'm interested in, the managers themselves are the ones who didn't put Pablo Hernandez in, who didn't put various other players in, which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, where do you stand on it being those three? Maybe I'm focusing too much on the goals. They're very, very key players, but... <clears throat> I think that, in my opinion, it is wrong. I mean, but you can't blame the EFL necessarily. I think Norwood is quite clearly uh, the stand-up player in League Two this season, and I think that's fair enough, where he is one person who you'd think that he's basically irreplaceable for his team um, and, and Chamis' season and any success they do have this season will be purely down to him. I don't think you can say the same about Collins and Puki. Um, I think Puki is one very important cog in an unbelievable machine and, uh, and the same can be said as well for, um, for Collins where he's obviously had a great season. He's really come to the fore since, um, since Nathan Jones left but at the same time this is an Luton team who have been scoring a lot of goals consistently throughout the team for a long time now and uh, whilst he's profited from that and he's been the main man I don't for a second think that without Collins, Luton wouldn't be in, in the top two. So, so, Something that strikes me about this award quite often, not just this year, but specifically this year, is you, you obviously look at the top teams to find the players. That is a natural thing to do. Certainly in the case of Norwich and Luton, are two, well, and Lincoln, are, two, are three runaway leaders now, I think we're safe to say at this stage. Because they have so many contributors, because they are such good teams as a collective, which makes them as good as they are, it's very difficult for an individual in that team to get a lot of plaudits. I mean, Puki obviously did win the award, but Buendia yeah. is probably a better, a better yeah. player. He is a better player. Hmm. And, and probably even more important than arguably, arguably this season. Um, that's true. But I, I just think the way it should work with these awards is you should look for someone who's his value is, is, is of the highest possible to their team. Mm. I mean, I think Pablo and Grealish are, and, and Mount are the kind of the three really obvious ones where their absence uh, is of such detriment to the team that that just shows their quality. And uh, of course, you but have to look at it. then you're almost rewarding people for playing with worse no, no, colleagues. No, 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 and that's true. So you have to look at the context as well, um, where Grealish obviously shouldn't be nominated for it because he missed you know, what was it, 10, 12 games of the season, which is a massive, massive chunk. Um, so that's fair enough. I mean, but but the, the consistency of Pablo, I mean, he mm. is the obvious one. And, I, and I'd, I'd say, um, yeah, I mean, he's the one who, who for me is so clearly important. And that is a, a Leeds team who are, a, you know, a very good team. You can find quality throughout that. Um, and we always mention as well that, that, you know, the way they're coached and maybe the lack of quality within the players themselves just shows what a good job Bielsa is doing. But, Calvin Phillips was in the team of the year and, and Pablo Hernandez wasn't. And um, whether it's managers voting for it or the EFL or fans, that, that, it's, it's baffling. And we are going to move on now to the championship five-a-side elect of the six championship players that we were able to talk to. So you're going to hear them back to back to back. Uh, we spoke to Rhys James. We spoke to three Norwich players, Jamal Lewis, Timu Puki and Max Ahrens. We spoke to uh, Billy Sharp, and we spoke to Jared Bowen of Hull as well. I think it's interesting. We should mention we did put these guys on the spot, basically gave them about five seconds to think about it. So don't take it too seriously. Don't look into it too much. But uh, it was really fun to chat with these guys uh, about this conundrum. And we're going to be giving our teams after that. 
So I'm here at the EFL Awards with Reese James. And Reese, we're going to ask you, as well everyone else, for your championship five-a-side team. So who do you have in your five-a-side team? Uh, I think I'd start with uh, Randolph in goal. Um, he's Ali's favourite player as well, so that's good you said that. Yeah, I mean, he's a very good keeper. Um, I'd also have Cooper at Leeds. I think he's a very solid defender, leader. Um, I'd have Oli Nord as well. Great player. Yeah, very good. Um, Two more. Uh, Shea Adams. Yeah, and... Uh, Up for the award tonight, of course. Yeah. He's a, he's a unit and a very good player, of course. I mean, he's got 20-odd goals this season. He's, he's helped Birmingham get to where they are. And uh, last one, I'll probably go... You can say yourself. <laughs> uh, Hernandez. Yeah. Yeah, for Leeds. I think he's a, obviously he's played in the Premier League for many years and is a stand-up player in this league, I think. My Tuesday night team will take you guys on with no doubt. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you. So joined by Jared Bowen, asking him the same question as everyone else for his championship five-a-side team. Jared, good luck tonight in the awards, but first and foremost, your championship five-a-side elect. Um, probably Jack Butland in goal from Stoke. Um, he's a good keeper, obviously. At the back, um, maybe Pontus Janssen because, you know, he looks... He just could probably run through a brick wall if you told him to, and he's. I think he'd keep um, the goals out. Um, midfield, probably Grealish because you know his ball sticks to him like glue. Um, and he, I'm imagine he'd be unbelievable in five sides. Um, probably Pablo Hernandez from Leeds because the vision he's got. Um, and then up front, my striker, probably Billy Sharp because the his finishing and ability and the goals he scores. I think he just score wherever in five aside so I would like to put myself in but I don't think I can be too big headed about that I've got to you know not not name myself in it but I probably yeah that's probably my five aside team yeah you'd, you'd back yourself with your own finishing ability but I think we're Grealish and Pablo in there yeah tough one great team thank you very much yeah. best of luck tonight Cheers. Thank you. Jamal Lewis here at the EFL Awards so and as with everyone else we're going to ask you Jamal for your championship five aside team who's in goal um I'll go with uh, Tim Krull yeah I think he's been really really good for us this season uh, he's a great great guy to have in the change room, been a real leader from the back and brought a lot of experience. Obviously, he's played at the World Cup, played at the highest level for a lot of years. So, yeah, Tim Krul for me at goal. And who in front? Um, I'm going for me and Max. Yes! <laughs> yes. Love it! Uh, a little bit young, but I think we've shown this year we, we, can, we can cope with the level. Well, are you and Max good mates off the pitch? I pray that you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me and Max are close. Uh, me, all of the boys are close in the Norwich change room. I think um, maybe that's been... Uh, a key key part of, of why we've been successful we've got quite a good change room this year so I think that's played a real key role but all the young lads are especially really close as well okay and then who you got two more uh, gotta put Pookie up there don't you he's the best best player in the championship best attack in the championship so it's, it's I don't I don't need to big him up everyone's seen what he does to these defenders so yeah uh, Pookie and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go all Norwich I'm gonna go Emi Bundia um, started a little bit um, slowly obviously he wasn't really in the team at the start but he's shown everyone what he can do I think he's got about 15 assists in the league now or something like that and yeah great player to have great end product great energy and yeah just what a player Ali uh, mocked me once for saying that he was a championship uh, Lionel Messi and absolutely no doubting what colour uh, Jamal Lewis's uh, five side team are playing I think it would be yellow cheers mate thank you cheers thanks Delighted to be joined by Championship top goalscorer as we record, Timu Puki. And Timu, we're asking you the same as everyone else, including your teammate Jamal Lewis, who picked a five-a-side team purely of Norwich players. You've got the championship to work with. 
who's in your championship five-a-side team? Yeah, we go uh, with our players as well. Uh, it's also a pleasure to play with them. So obviously, Tim Pool as a keeper, and then uh, Simbo, Simmerman, Jamal is there as well. It's really hard to say five actually. There's so many, many good players in our team. You've only got two more now as well. You need some goals. <laughs> yeah, that's. Emi Buendia, for sure, he's been giving me many assists this season, and yeah, I think I go myself as well. I'll say it, and Timu Puki up front. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Have a good night. Thanks, Cheers. Right, I'm here with Billy Sharp, the person who I probably least like to play against in five-a-side in the championships. I think it's going absolutely hatful. But Billy, who your, who's your five-a-side team? That's uh, a tough question, asking me on the spot. Um, our keeper's been fantastic. Um, he's kept 18 clean sheets up to now, so I'd, I'd have to put him in my net. Um, he's a character as well, so it'd be fun to play in a five-a-side. Um, I could quite easily go Sheffield United five-a-side, but... I, I, Jamal, Jamal did five for Norwich players. Oh, there we go then. Uh, I'll go Jack O'Connell and uh, Egan at the back. Two rocks, been brilliant all season. Obviously, um, as other three defenders have done fantastic as well um, I'll go uh, John Fleck and um, Oliver Nord in the, in the centre, centre midfield and put myself up front to try and get us some goals um, I think you'll probably succeed you normally don't struggle for goals do you? I've actually given you six players there I think anyway <laughs> <laughs> brilliant cheers mate thank no you worries. that's great thanks <laughs> a lot of Norwich players here at the AFL Awards and the latest I'm joined by is Max Aaron's Max Timu and Jamal have both picked themselves in their five-a-side team are you going to do the same thing? Yeah, um, yeah. So who's your five? Uh, I'd say myself, um, Oliver Norwood in midfield, uh, Emmy Buendia in midfield, um, and then who's in goal? Darren Randolph, and then I'd say uh, Timu Puki. So you bet you picked Timu. Yeah, yeah. Jamal picked you, and you haven't picked Jamal. Oh no, J- Jamal's in there for for Norwood. Basically. <laughs> So my first thought off the back of that, George, is a, it was a great night for my strong Darren Randolph opinion, wasn't it? He was uh, a popular pick outside of the Norwich lot. And I think Aaron's, yeah, Aaron's had him in. The other two had Cruel, but generally he was the, the go-to option. Yeah, I wonder if that's just because they thought who's in the team of the year and <laughs> I went for the easy one. No, it, it definitely was. Um, and uh, Only one Jack Grealish in there, which uh, probably raised some eyebrows. What, what would be your championship five-a-side team? Who would you take to battle on a Tuesday night up in, uh, up in where do you play? Warren Street. So I would have Randolph and goal uh, because I think in, in five-a-side... Interesting. It you- is shot stopping that's so important here and, and he's undoubtedly the kind of well I think he's the best shot stopper in the league um, I would have a very different approach to lots of people where I'm just looking for really good technical footballers um, so I'd have interestingly interviewed one of them I'd have Reese James there as being kind of the all action defender mm-hmm. um, who's got the pace and the defensive ability to go with it and he's also just an unbelievably good footballer I would have Jack Grealish I'd have Pablo um, and I would have Bowen Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So quite similar. I've got two different. So I'm going Randolph for obvious reasons. Good to see that opinion stacking up well. Uh, I'm going to take Calvin Phillips in your Reese James slot. Uh, he has obviously played some football at centre back this season and is very strong in the tackle. It's also used to being the, the fulcrum and the first sort of passer in a team, if you will. 
And I've got Grealish and Pablo for obvious reasons. Grealish in the left channel, Pablo in the right channel. Uh, I've gone with Che Adams up front. I was trying to, I was trying to think about what I want in a striker. Um, obviously, his pace and his powerful shot, I think, could be very key here. That is relative to someone like Puki, who I think is an amazing player. I think Adams being that touch quicker, possibly a touch stronger, and to my eyes, maybe more comfortable playing with his back to goal, or at least receiving with his back to goal and creating something on the turn. Uh, that's quite important in, in a five-a-side game, especially in those tight cages. So uh, that's my team. So not too dissimilar, our two teams. Two more things from the awards, and then we're going to have a quick look at, at the weekend results. Goal of the season we voted on, it went to Ruben Nevsh. Uh, you, you were fine with that. I was a little more disappointed because he just feels so far away from the EFL right but now. But he was also done a massive injustice last season when he didn't win pair of the season. So yes. it's only right that he finally gets that reward. Yeah, that's true. Neves won that. I think I voted for Ruddock Mpanzu, uh, who scored such a nice long ranger, basically, into the top corner of those nice triangle nets they have at Luton. Uh, an aesthetically pleasing one, but I don't think it was easy to argue with Ruben Neves. And like, I think, everyone who's, who's met him, and I did have the pleasure of meeting Joe Thompson uh, a few months back when he was on the Quest Highlights show, um, he was honoured with the Sir Tom Finney Award last night. Joe Thompson former Rochdale striker who had to retire this year at 30, who beat cancer twice and, of course, scored that fairy tale goal at the end of last season to, on, on the final day to keep Rochdale up. Uh, that was a very emotional part of the evening, wasn't it? And it's hard not to feel so much warmth towards him and so inspired as well, isn't it? I think we both felt that very strongly. Yeah, um, it absolutely unbelievable story as you say um the the, the kind of the, the footage they showed the interview with joe his, his speech on the stage as well i mean he just seems like a, a really great guy and someone that i think the efl can be very proud of i mean people footballers fans dream of scoring goals of the magnitude that he scored for rochdale um and so for him to be able to to do that after going through what he had to go through being diagnosed with cancer twice but so both the you know the physical obvious pain and then also the uh the you know the mental side of it as well uh, is quite something and he just seems like a great great guy so um yeah amazing moment we're very keen to hear from you guys about your thoughts on the efl awards uh, who won those awards who you think should have won those awards we want to hear from you at ntt20 pod on twitter um we know that that's been a slightly different start to the podcast you might have been expecting more immediate True weekend analysis. yeah more immediate weekend analysis we're going to get into that now but we were very, very chuffed, it's fair to say, to have been at the awards last night and in the capacity that we were as accredited media, not the top 20 pod. Uh, and it is really all down to the fact that you guys listen to us talk about it and have done, many of you, for about three years now. So we just want to stress that we are very happy, very lucky as well, and very grateful to, to be able to do that. And... Hopefully, you've got a feeling for what it was like uh, for us to be there. And also, the last thing to mention is that there was a very strange moment when they announced the Supporter of the Year Award, where due to some administrative error, they put the spotlight on our table, which was just me and George and 10 plates of beef. 
And the woman basically went up to George as if he had won Supporter of the Year. And we almost went up and claimed it on behalf of all of you guys. I think I, I pretty deserve it, to be honest. <laughs> Having sat through the first kind of 10 or so games of Oxford season, I think every Oxford fan deserved it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a... Gave me a bit of a shock. I wasn't really prepared for that, but uh, thankfully the guy was on another table uh, and he went and got his reward, so that was okay. Let's move on to some weekend chat. Um, so much is changing all the time, and we mentioned it last week. As of uh, on Saturday, when those games kicked off, we were at a stage where there are six rounds of championship fixtures in the space of 21, 22 days. So, so much is changing that it, it, it's... It's really about just trying desperately to keep up and trying to talk you through the most interesting parts of the weekend without maybe doing as much of our normal, what does this all mean? Because quite quickly that could prove to be wrong. The big news is that Norwich blitzed QPR, managerless QPR. Uh, it was all too easy for Norwich and they are cantering to the title because Leeds and, and Sheffield United continue their scrap and for the third week in a row, the leaders changed hands again. Sheffield United getting the win against Preston away from home. Leeds losing at home, uh, away at Birmingham. Those teams now flip. So Leeds will be playing Preston in midweek. Sheffield United will be playing Birmingham in midweek. I think we need to do a little bit more therapy for Leeds fans just quickly before that game. As with Leeds fans and what they've been through over a number of seasons, there is a feeling that it's all happening again, that they're falling apart. We like to look at, at the games and decide whether it is a massive bottle job. Well done to Birmingham for a great game plan. This wasn't necessarily Leeds falling apart, though. On another day, this could have been very different. No, and it's something we touched upon um, where there seems to be this idea that whoever drops points is basically falling apart. Like, a team has to finish third. <laughs> so whoever finishes third out of, out of Leeds or, or Sheffield United hasn't necessarily bottled it. I mean, the only team who could bottle it from here would be if Norwich went on like a losing streak to the end of the season. You yeah. know, there. And these teams are going to drop points. Leeds and Sheffield United are two of the best teams in the league, but they are not so superior to everyone else that you can expect them just to win all their games going in, especially with the added pressure uh, on two very young squads, it's fair to say. Um, of, of you know the, the prize of getting promotion as well the pressure on Leeds given they've been out of the top flight for 15 or so years is massive the pressure on Sheffield United who who you know haven't been there uh, for a very long while as well um, and as I say a very very young squad who haven't been in this position before is also huge so I know the rhetoric and the narrative and probably what gets websites clicks and sells papers is that you know Leeds bottled it again but they are still banging this um, they didn't play particularly uh, well, but they didn't bottle it either, and um, they were very unlucky. They hit the woodwork. They had seventy-three percent possession, which we know is is can be a bit of a um, a red herring. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it shows that you know they they still retain the ball very well. I mean, just the nine shots, but a lot a lot of this boils down to Patrick Bamford again. He had probably two clear cut chances, maybe three at a push, uh, and he didn't take them. Now, again, this is not probably what fans want to hear but we would always say better to be losing and, and creating chances than than losing uh, uh, you know sort of whimpering to to an easy defeat Bamford is not a bad player he is a good goal scorer he was championship player of the year about three or four years ago in individual games this can happen it's it's completely right to be worried about this Roof is obviously back was on the bench in this game there's so many more twists and turns to come I guess is what I'm saying Bamford will score uh, and possibly starting in midweek. 
um, this Leeds side should be back in action. So not too much to worry about, but a, a hugely impressive win for Sheffield United at Preston. Um, Preston, another slightly disappointing performance, I think, after we all got so excited about their run of form. But Sheffield United proving why they are, you know, second equal best team in the league at this stage. Uh, another interesting result was Bristol City 2, Wigan 2. Now, it wasn't that damaging for Bristol City because of result, results elsewhere. But despite essentially Wigan <clears throat> nicking an equaliser right at the end, general consensus is that Wigan did deserve that point. It's an impressive point for them, given how bad their away form is. On the betting show on Thursday, I called Paul Cook the least tactically flexible manager I could think of in the division. That was in direct comparison to Lee Johnson, who is very active in that sense. Of course, Paul Cook then changed his system for the first time in about five years, uh, played three at the back, uh, and, and it seemed to work very well. And a quite sensational goal from Rhys James, who we met last night and who... Uh, very quite quiet and shy and humble in person but on the pitch is just an absolute superstar yeah uh, unbelievable player and he, as I said uh, on my five-a-side team he just has every single attribute for to a footballer um, you know I think his career long term probably will be as a right back because that there are very few people um, in the world really who can get up and down a line uh, with the athleticism and pace of someone like James um, and so that I think that skill set is so valuable now in the way that the modern game has gone. But he has the technical ability and the physical ability to, to basically play anywhere. Um, He'd never played a professional game of football before this season. He's played every game for Wigan. It's absolutely astonishing. We've spoken about, you know, don't expect much from these players, even the very highly rated ones in their first loan, because it takes time. I mean, they've moved him from right back into midfield, as you mentioned, because He's just dominating these these very experienced and very good quality players week by week. It is uh, something to shout about because we're seeing something very special. When we saw the England team at the World Cup and we banged on a lot about the fact that 17 out of 23 of them had played in the EFL. And so you think, well, you know, the chances are there are players currently playing in the EFL, undeniably, who will play for England. And then sometimes you go... Oh, you slightly second guess yourself and you think, okay, but maybe I'm not sure who is actually going to because it, 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 you know, it's quite a hard one to predict. This is absolutely nailed on. Yeah. We, we, we spoke to him, Aaron's, James Justin, yeah. and your first thought, you turned to me afterwards and went, how many England caps are these guys going to have? Between the three of them, all, all vying for the same position probably. Yeah, um, yeah. and you've also got Trent Alexander-Arnold. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I think it's probably, the answer's probably a fair few. Uh, it is very special. I mean, with James, you do feel like we can't really claim him as our own. Yeah, <laughs> he is a Chelsea um, Academy graduate. You'd assume, you, you hope, if the system works, that he's going to play for Chelsea very, very soon, yeah. probably next season. Um, whereas Justin and Aaron's, we can, we can really uh, cling on to them as being a proper EFL boys. Yeah. Um, as was pointed out, Max Aaron's came through at Luton as well. So mm. the two guys who, who can... Um, you know, feel very Luton fans can feel very proud of both their progress, and I'm. Just, it's just really exciting to see how they're going to progress. Yeah. Um, right now, I mean, obviously Grealish is the one that I personally am the most excited to see what's going to happen in his career. But I think in the next five or ten years, we're going to be able to look back at having a really special group of players all playing uh, in the EFL. And the 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 final wrinkle to this whole discussion is that we are also, in some cases. Uh, 
currently financially invested in their development as well, yeah, which is a bit of a weird thing to say. But of course, via Football Index, which we've spoken about at length uh, in the last month or two, uh, some of those players that we're talking about are the ones who we were really keen to get involved with and who are, you know, repaying us already. I think Justin um, is a, you know, uh, we've got to be careful giving out tips and stuff on, on this, but he's someone that you and I both bought very early on and he's, he may currently be playing in League One, but don't let that put you off because he's a serious, serious player. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Well, uh, what else happened in the Championship? I mentioned that it wasn't too damaging for Bristol City. That's because Aston Villa beat Sheffield Wednesday. Now, for Villa, this is the extension of a quite sensational run of form. Not necessarily as easy as it looked. The 3-1 scoreline betrays a game that essentially they're quite lucky to win uh, by all accounts. And it was a highly charged atmosphere with the old Bruce. Um, yeah, a lot of emotions with Steve Bruce coming up against Aston Villa. There was um, uh, some strange um, rhetoric in the build-up about who everyone should be supporting um, in, in that particular game and how the whole footballing world will be supporting Sheffield Wednesday. And what I liked was people said Steve Bruce will be so motivated to beat this uh, Aston Villa team. And I was like the Aston Villa players who are actually playing are going to also be unbelievably motivated to beat Steve Bruce to prove that, you know, there is a massive difference between them under him and them under Dean Smith. It strikes me they can have more impact on the game in, a, in that sense. Uh, and, and sure enough, they were the ones who, who nicked it at the end and look in an unbelievably strong position heading into the playoffs now with a run of, of consecutive wins that is now at six um, and they are basically a lock now. Bristol City are in sixth. They've got a game in hand over the majority of teams around them. Um, they're two points above Derby, who also have the same game in hand. Um, and they've now moved four above Middlesbrough, five above Forest, Preston and Hull, and six above Sheffield Wednesday. So it seems to me, George, that this was a weekend in which our playoff picture actually got a little bit less exciting maybe with six games to go. Yeah, it's going to happen. Um, it would have been incredible if we'd been going into the, the last day with, with a few teams all in, in it. Um, Do you I think, think any of the teams below them look, could we say with any confidence, you know, they, they might at least have a dart at this stage? Not really, no. I mean, I, th I think the teams we've seen fall on the way, it was, it's, you know, the writing's been on the wall for a f bit of time now. I think no one's particularly surprised to see Middlesbrough um, kind of dropping out of it. Uh, if you put a line through Derby's 6-1 win against Rotherham, um, the, res the results have been tailing off for a while there so it wouldn't surprise me if, if it got even less exciting in the next few weeks with the likes of Derby falling away out of contention before, before uh, closing day although you know I guess if, if I'm going to be true to what I say about, about um, Derby with and without Mount um, his return to fitness means that surely they, they do have a, a you know they have a shout to get themselves back into it at least yeah six defeats in a row for one of the teams that we're talking about that's Middlesbrough they were thrashed by Swansea um, of course, Swans were confident after picking up a win and some positive signs in the last few weeks performance-wise for Swansea. Getting the win in midweek against Brentford gave them the confidence to take on a Middlesbrough side that I think, despite Swansea's confidence on the ball and their technical quality, they have to have been aware of, of a, a softness and a concession of goals uh, and, a, and a, a struggle against essentially big physical teams. Now, you know, there's a trade-off when you play with the, the, with the sort of short-passing possession-based style that they do. 
Um, I, I would imagine there were plenty of fears amongst the fan base that despite Middlesbrough's poor form, just in the profile of the team they're up against, we're going to cause Swansea problems. It wasn't the case at all. Swansea completely blitzed them, made them look really, really silly. Basically, <laughs> basically no one is struggling against this, this uh, Middlesbrough team at the moment and uh, it's all very much and doom and gloom. Just another performance from Swansea as well, just showing some life. I'm getting excited about Graham Potter's Swansea. Um, their, post, their XG post was about 3.2, I think, as well. So it wasn't a fluke here that they, um, they, they got racked up a couple of goals against, against Middlesbrough. They deserved it. And um, yeah, if they can just... And because some of their players, the likes of Selena and Grimes, you know, they, they certainly have the technical qualities to go a lot further, but maybe because it's been an underwhelming season, they've got a better chance of just holding on to them for next term. Yeah, I'm getting a little excited about Nathan Jones's Stoke City. Six clean sheets in a row. And of course, the four previous games were all nil-nil, but they got a 1-0 win against Blackburn at Ewood Park on the weekend, as predicted by myself in the, in the betting show. A very rare long shot landed for me, but it's... More and more impressive as the weeks go on. Etebo got the winner. We've basically been asked by Stoke fans to not mention Etebo because it appears in the last month or two and under Nathan Jones that he is developing into quite the player. And hopefully, if we don't talk about him too much, he will be at Stoke next season. I think he probably will be. And we might be witnessing, and if we are, I'd like to say it nice and early, the development of a player that could be very special next season for this Stoke team they look all of a sudden much more comfortable as a football team. And that's something that they, they weren't for the first 35 games of the season. So credit to Nathan Jones for that. And at the bottom, uh, Georgie, was it probably, apart from the Sheffield United and Leeds switcheroo, it was at the bottom where the big results were, I would say. Massive, massive wins for Millwall and for that Rotherham side that you have such a soft spot for. And Reading giving away a lead at home to Hull, uh, away right. at Hull, sorry, that that uh, is looking quite damaging now. Well, especially when you know their home form has been so good recently. But the next team they play at home, champions elect Norwich. So having got that win last weekend, that looked like it had put them, um, you know, pushed them away from safety. I don't think anyone could have could have envisaged such a nightmare um, Saturday for them, especially going one 0 up and being one 0 up at half time, and Rotherham getting the win. Uh, Rotherham's home form just remains so so good. Uh, it is must be baffling for Paul Warren that they because you know they struggle so much away from home when they consistently match teams who are towards the top end of the top end of the table at home. Um, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. I, 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 it's, given how reliant they both are on the home form and how desperately poor they both are away. Um, it's going to be, yeah. you know, a lot of pressure on them to, to keep up picking up those points. The ebbs and flows of a championship season. A big win for Millwall, well deserved over a West Brom team that had won their first three under the caretaker at Shan. And to all intents and purposes, for those who had been watching those games and those who look at this stuff closely, were clearly not maintaining a particularly high level of performance in those games. Now, you mustn't take credit away from three points. That is the most important thing. But it's fair to say that this defeat away at Millwall did not come as a surprise for a lot of people. Uh, where it might do, if you just look at, at league position and, dare I say, at form, this might have been a big shock. Uh, not so, I don't think, this West Brom team uh, continue uh, on a game-to-game -game basis to fluctuate between looking genuinely quite poor and being passable and, and being good enough to win games. But as we know, anyone can beat anyone. And, uh, and Millwall at home, 
are always confident and, uh, and got a very impressive win there. Ben Thompson of Millwall, who spent the first half of the season at Portsmouth. Central midfield player playing a sort of advanced number eight role, pushing into the 10 position a bit more in the last few weeks and has been an absolute game changer for them. Um, as big as any January signing in the championship, Ben Thompson's return from his loan has been a huge catalyst for Millwall uh, as they look to stay up. In League One, there's quite a lot going on, uh, as there always is. Excitingly, uh, in the aftermath of what we spoke about the other week with Colin Murray, uh, the Quest Highlights show, which is on Saturdays at nine o'clock, which was extended to two hours in order to give more time to League One and League Two. I would say, and I am biased as I work on the show, it's been a very successful start to that, the first two weeks. Uh, firstly, with Daryl Clark on as a guest, and then with Sam Parkin on Saturday. Um, really positive from a League One, League Two point of view. More, uh, more highlights, more analysis, better analysis. I think it's really, really exciting. <clears throat> now, I have been invited on as a guest this Saturday Woo! to be the uh, guest for the League One and League Two section of the show. I'm going to be alongside Dean Ashton, uh, so a real little and large strike partnership. I feel like I've been replaced by someone um, just quite a lot better than me at football. Yeah. Which is a shame. <laughs> well, yes. You never quite made it professional and you certainly didn't get called up to England squads. But uh, a similar injury record, I think it's fair to say. Anyway, um, very, very excited and don't want to be soppy on the podcast but a bit like what I said at the end of that that awards segment uh, this is unbelievably exciting for for me for us because uh, we have been working quite hard at providing semi-interesting and semi-in-depth EFL analysis for a good three years now so uh, to be on the Saturday Night Highlight Show obviously constitutes a very exciting opportunity and hopefully guys and you must let me know either way Hopefully, uh, I do not a top 20 pod proud. Uh, please do watch. Uh, I'll be on at 10 p.m. on Quest. But of course, you should watch the whole show. Just to start the League One segment, this was interesting. Uh, us talking to James Justin last night at the EFL Awards about his League One five-a-side team. Now, we had the Norwich players basically pick all of their teammates. James Justin taking a slightly different approach, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, we're delighted to be joined by James Justin, uh, who's in League One Team of the Year. We're asking him for his League One five-a-side team. James, what are you going for? I think uh, in goal we're going to go with uh, the keeper from Sunderland, McLaughlin. John McLaughlin. Yeah, I yeah. think that's his name, yeah. He was outstanding against us, and uh, it's obviously what you want from a keeper. Uh, Centre-backs we're going to go, or at the... At the back, we're going to go with uh, Liam Lindsay. I'm going to go with, um, in midfield, we're going to go with some, someone creative, uh, Alex Mowat, going Cam McGeehan as well. A lot of Barnsley in here, as you can tell. And then uh, the final two, I think we're going to go with uh, Aidan McGeady. And Mate, you've run out of players here. You've already got, yeah, you've got five. If you had to have a sixth, who's it going to be for the goals? Sixth man of the year. Uh, sixth man, to be fair, I've got to put my own teammate in up there Colo just a just a nick in nick in whenever he need him off the bench yeah I was going to say you could put any of your teammates in there probably couldn't yeah. you and it'd be a good side thank you very much mate cheers. enjoy the night cheers yeah he ended up chatting football with us for about 5-10 minutes and we were very impressed with him 
as a young man as, as much as we have been as a footballer as well. And I thought very ballsy to pick quite so many Barnsley players in his League One five-a-side team. As mentioned, we did put these guys on the spot somewhat. So just very grateful uh, to them for joining us. Uh, elsewhere in League One, I guess the big news really is to do with the second automatic promotion spot in League One. And for the first time, I'm going to guess you're happy to say <clears throat> Sunderland now look more likely to get automatically promoted than Barnsley FC. Yeah, I think if I denied that, then all the people who, uh, who complain about my bias would, would have a point um, because Sunderland undoubtedly now in the box seat for that second spot. Um, another, I mean, another unbelievable show of character to come back from behind again on the road and get a very, very late winner. Um, it's mm. been the story of their season. And whilst I've often used it as a stick to beat them with, you have to. I said it on the on the Roka Rapport podcast that I was on before Wembley. You have to hand it to them that the character and the strength of, of, of this squad in, in terms of just getting over the line, of getting results. I mean, I, I, as I say, I, don't, I do not buy the idea that a sign of a good team is playing badly and, and, and winning. I'm not saying they play badly by any stretch, but it's more just the ability to turn bad situations into good ones is unbelievable. Um, you look at Barnsley as being completely the opposite to that. Mm. They've had 20 games a season where they've been untouchable. They've also had games like Saturday, often on the road, where they don't show up. And, and those performances generally lead to blanks. Yeah. Um, whereas Sunderland managed to turn the, the flatter performances into points. And that's a key, key, key point here. And uh, as you say, Sunderland now um, with one foot back in the championship yeah really impressive feat of squad management over the last well probably going back about two months now I'd say for Sunderland because of postponements because of that checker trade trophy run they really have had a tight schedule in terms of, of playing games every three or four days it, it feels like at the moment for them to have maintained this level of results and level of performances as well is hugely impressive and speaks to a bit of rotation, a clever bit of squad management from Jack Ross. It, it was notable that Ledbitter and Catamol, who we've spoken about specifically over the last month or two as being key men uh, in this run of form, both of them not involved on the weekend. Max Power and Dylan McGeoch, though, really, really, really good replacements for those two players and playing very, very well. So with Wyke and Grigg starting up front, it was a bit more of a 4-4-2, so a bit of a change of shape. McGeady wasn't involved either. The more I mentioned, the more impressive this this result was away at Rochdale. Um, it was nice to see Honeyman get the goal, the, 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 the academy graduate. Uh, he was wearing the armband, fantastic scenes, fantastic celebrations. Uh, it's been an undeniably impressive last, well, last two months, I would say, since that weird run of one-all draws. Uh, and Sunderland now very much in the driving seat, level on points with Barnsley with two games in hand now. Uh, it's it's now a different kind of pressure. It's theirs to lose. Luton uh, drew at home to Blackpool, a late goal to stay unbeaten, um, beating uh, all sorts of records in the meantime. Portsmouth got another great result as well. Um, Brett Pittman with a notable double, um, really coming into his own the last few weeks in a slightly more withdrawn role. Um, and despite the fact that, uh, and I don't mean to be harsh, he does look like not your average footballer. He, he looks like more like someone you might see in a Sunday league game, but he is performing. And for Portsmouth, that's very big. He's basically Bogle and Vaughan, who came in in January, 
are now essentially out the side again because Hawkins and, and Pittman have stepped up again. So very impressive for them. Uh, in the playoff picture, nothing really changed because Charlton, Peterborough and Doncaster all won. That was Lee Bowyer's 50th game in charge of Charlton. And kind of under the radar is their defensive record, which has been really impressive. I think they've conceded only eight goals in their last 15 games. So we've mentioned before, they're in a bit of a weird position heading into the playoffs. They've known they'll be going into the playoffs for months there's no chance of them slipping out. There's no chance of them getting automatic. They've just got six games to keep everyone fit, to build this defensive solidity even further, and to make sure when they hit the semi-finals, they are bang at it. And uh, we probably expect them to be. And down at the bottom, uh, no one in the bottom half of Lee won actually won, uh, which is ridiculous and sums up the situation down there entirely. It means that nothing really changed in that regard. Uh, but Oxford got a fourth win in a row, so um, we're all very happy about that, beating Dean Keats's Walsall, who are now just Walsall. Yeah, well, they're now, uh, I can't remember his name, the caretakers. O'Connor. O'Connor's Walsall, yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't go to the game, sadly, because I was at Aintree, <clears throat> but sounded pretty desperate for, for Walsall fans uh, to be playing against 10 men at home for 45 minutes and to lose that half 2-0 is pretty unforgivable. Um, and to all intents and purposes, I think that... Um, Oxford by the sounds of it deserved it as well uh, I feel like the Walsall needs to, to have a chat with their steward yeah who went kind of viral the other day for trying to fight yeah uh, and then caused some trouble again with the Oxford fans same, Just they same... really do not want opposition fans to well, celebrate it. and they don't want opposition players to like even get close enough to clap them but what's weird is that from what I've heard from lots of Oxford fans that kind of uh, clash with the steward basically just intensified the whole game and made Oxford fans much more desperate to get the win and therefore probably help them kind of the, the atmosphere and cheer them over the line. So, yeah, Walsall, just, just sort out your steward. Yeah. Something I never thought I would have to uh, <laughs> say on this podcast is uh, rallying against a steward. But It's great that you have the platform uh, to be able to say that sort of stuff now. Um, we'll mention that Kevin Bond's first game at Southend saw them take the lead twice uh, but give it up both times to draw... Um, two all away at Fleetwood it would have been an unbelievable start if he could have got a win there uh, but I guess just on first impressions a little bit of a bounce a little bit more bite in the tackle perhaps a little more um, character being shown and, and a valuable point certainly um, and uh, and that's pretty much it for League One down in League Two the big game was MK Dons against Lincoln wasn't it at the top of that division we previewed it in depth on the betting show, um, we kind of sat on the fence a little bit in the sense that I picked a draw, you picked both teams to score. How surprised were you to see the final score, Lincoln 2, MK Dons nil? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was surprised. You can't be um, floored by top of the league beating second in the league. Um, I, th- I still think that this uh, MK Dons team are very, very good, but my idea that they... Um, you know, we're, we're the best team in the league has slightly been rammed down my throat and mm. I'm happy to, to admit as much. Um, so impressive from Lincoln again. I mean, Danny Cowley, we, I spoke earlier about Norwich being a machine. I think Lincoln um, fall into that category as well where so long as he's there, they're always going to be very, very hard to beat. And their record in, the, in big games is just unbelievable. We saw it back in their FA Cup run when they were in the National League and we're seeing it again now where every time they come up, up against one of the teams around them in the league, they seem to put in one of the performances of the season and they did it yet again. Although, I mean, the reliance, it's, it's not a detriment, but it is 
incredible how many uh, Kinde penalties we, we, we seem to see. Six but, uh, goals from open play this season, nine goals from the penalty it's spot. Just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there's. I watched this one live and, and there was really no better team in this. It was one of those games that was, it's quite hard to define it. I think MK Dons fans feel a little bit hard done by and I think they feel like they were the better team. I can understand why you would feel that yeah. because they had a lot of the ball. Lincoln allowed them to move it around fairly simply around the back and to play it into midfield. The problem was in the final third, MK Dons really got nothing going. And I think generally you have to say that is testament to Lincoln's strength, which we spoke about so in-depth on the betting show. It's like playing against a brick wall at times. Bostwick and Shackle are so comfortable with anything off the ground, it's not even fair. And with O'Hara in midfield as well, on such good form, it's, it's very difficult to make any sort of progress through the middle, on the ground. It's very difficult to, to get around the side of them and to put in you know low crosses, cutbacks, which are obviously dangerous opportunities that MK Dons are generally quite good at generating. It, it's, it's all about Lincoln denying those opportunities to you. We mentioned they've only conceded 19 goals from open play. And that was in evidence here that they, they are just so strong. And it, 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 I kind of agree what you say about Akinde. It's a bit puzzling that they do manage to score as many goals as they do because they're not a constant threat going forward, Lincoln. At least it doesn't feel like they are. So there's clearly something we're missing, maybe. Um, they do just have an ability to generate one or two goals a game from, from kind of nothing, um, which is, a, which is a, a hell of a skill and has seen them cantering to the title with Barry losing as well. This was a damaging defeat for Berry. If three defeats in, in the space of, of, of seven or eight days, I never know if you can say in the space of a week if you're taking two Saturday games. I think that's probably a bit cheeky, um, but also completely irrelevant to even talk about and uh, a good example of how stupidly nerdy we are. Berry have lost three games in a row and this one was against Carlisle who were down to 10 men with Berry 2-1 up. Carlisle win the game 3-2. On the face of it, that is about as bad as it gets. And in the context of a lot coming out with regard to Barry's financial situation being fairly critical, in fact, I'm going to take fairly out, being critical at the moment, the new owner releasing a statement saying that when he bought the club, the due diligence that was done in terms of the financials did not uncover what they are now discovering to be some quite large issues. Now, without knowing the ins and outs of the situation, it seems horrendous and a, a massive error uh, along the line somewhere for due diligence to be done and for due diligence not to have been done uh, and for them not to have uncovered the whole situation. There's no way that that should be happening uh, from, from a business standpoint more than anything. Now, however that has happened... I'm not entirely sure, uh, so you know it, it's difficult to, to point too many fingers. What it does mean is that as much as there are a lot of other teams struggling with off-the-field issues at the moment, this seems to have come out of nowhere, and yet it, it, it transpires these Berry players throughout the season have been uh, being paid late, um, been working under those sorts of restrictions, and 
to all intents and purposes, Ryan Lowe has been able to to somehow harness a team spirit and a togetherness to rise above that, which is admirable in the extreme. Unfortunately, because these have come to light now in the last few weeks uh, at a time where the team have hit a bit of a rough patch, there's still five games to go and uh, it, it looks increasingly like Berry might struggle to, to get over the line when it comes to automatic promotion, which of course is probably quite important for the retention of their players, for their future financial health. Regardless, the fans will only be caring about the actual future of the club, regardless of the division they're in. Um, they want stability, and this has been a, an unbelievably unstable club. Now, they've got to get over these issues and try and, 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 and enforce some stability. We really, really hope that they can. The football side seems irrelevant at the moment. A ray of hope, I think. I said that on paper this is a damaging defeat, losing when you're up against 10 men. I also think, to some extent, this is a bit of a freak. Berry played well. Berry were fairly dominant, as they have been in many games this season. Created a fair amount of chances. Didn't give up that many. Full credit to Carlisle for getting the win. I'm, I'm going to try and stay positive from a Berry perspective because I don't actually think that the performances have been as bad or as extreme as three defeats in a row uh, suggest. So fingers crossed for Berry. Uh, Mansfield did move into second with a win against Cambridge. Home to Cambridge, Mansfield only had two shots in the whole game, <laughs> only one of them on target, um, but getting the win. And they were very well represented at the EFL Awards. Um, sorry, bit of a bit of a monologue there, George. What else stood out for you uh, in League Two? I guess a, a good win for Forest Green away yeah, at Crawley. That's what I was going to say. Just a, a really important win for them. Uh, it's been a turbulent couple of a couple of months for Forest Green, and um, and as with as we said with the championship, kind of the the, the playoff race uh, is thinning out a bit now, um, with just a couple of teams to to fit in there. And you think that that you know getting that very late winner at Crawley's probably just about done it for them. Um, if you're looking at the at the table as it stands at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the result that, that stands out the most. And down the bottom, we talk about them every week. Macclesfield, Notts County and Yeovil. It's going to be two out of the three of them going down, surely now, unless Crawley completely um, wet the bed and lose their next five, which doesn't look out the question, but of course unlikely. Um, all three of the bottom three drew on the weekend in very different circumstances. Notts County uh, going down to 10 men, going 2-1 down and scoring immediately, holding out, clinging on for a draw. I spoke to Dean Gripton, the EFL researcher, or the head of the EFL, I should say, um, for football manager. He was at the game and said, impressive to cling on for Notts County, but even with 11 v 11, didn't look particularly impressive. Only threaten in very short bursts and still have a long way to go. Yeovil equalised in the last minute against Swindon, I guess this is a tick in the box for changing the manager because being 1-0 down at half-time and very much under the cosh away at Swindon, it's impossible to imagine under Darren Way they would have fought back. But by all accounts, the second half, much better. They had a lot more shots, a lot more opportunities in the second half and nicked a goal at the end from a set piece. That could be huge for them heading in to the last five games. And Macclesfield, who have the game in hand but are bottom of the table, uh, they drew at home to Morecambe. So no huge change at the bottom of League 2. We're going to go away and get some sleep after a big night at the EFL Awards. Uh, George, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, uh, a hell of a weekend you had. And um, as always, a pleasure to talk EFL with you. Just a reminder to tune in to Quest on Saturday night. Uh, I'll be on the show at 10pm for the League One and League Two segment. 
And make sure you tune into the betting show later on in the week as well. That'll be available on Thursday. We appreciate your support. As always, please drop a retweet if you've enjoyed the podcast. And we'll speak again later on in the week.